Chapter Two of Ten Days That Shook the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Ullman. Ten Days That Shook the World by John Reed. Chapter Two: The Coming Storm. In September, General Kornilov marched on Petrograd to make himself military dictator of Russia. Behind him was suddenly revealed the mailed fist of the bourgeoisie, boldly attempting to crush the revolution. Some of the socialist ministers were implicated. Even Kerensky was under suspicion. See Appendix 2, Section 1. Savinkov, summoned to explain to the Central Committee of his party, the socialist revolutionaries, refused and was expelled. Kornilov was arrested by the soldiers' committees. Generals were dismissed, ministers suspended from their functions, and the cabinet fell. Kerensky tried to form a new government, including the cadets, party of the bourgeoisie. His party, the Socialist Revolutionaries, ordered him to exclude the cadets. Kerensky declined to obey and threatened to resign from the cabinet if the socialists insisted. However, popular feeling ran so high that for the moment he did not dare oppose it, and a temporary directorate of five of the old ministers, with Kerensky at the head, assumed the power until the question should be settled. The Kornilov affair drew together all the socialist group, moderate, as well as revolutionists, in a passionate impulse of self-defense. There must be no more Kornilovs. A new government must be created responsible to the elements supporting the revolution. So the Seika invited the popular organizations to send delegates to a democratic conference, which should meet at Petrograd in September. In the Seika, three factions immediately appeared. The Bolsheviki demanded that all Russian Congress of Soviets be summoned and that they take over the power. The center socialist revolutionaries, led by Chernoff, joined with the left socialist revolutionaries led by Kamkov and Spiridonova, the Mensheviki internationalists under Martov, and the center Mensheviki, see notes and explanations, represented by Bogdanovid and Skobeliev, in demanding a purely socialist government, Seretilini, Dan, and Lieber. At the head of the right-wing Mensheviki, and the right socialist revolutionaries, Avak Sentiev and Gotz, insisted that the propertied classes must be represented in the new government. Almost immediately, the Bolsheviki won a majority in the Petrograd Soviet, and the Soviets of Moscow, Kiev, Odessa, and other cities followed suit. Alarmed, the Mensheviki and socialist revolutionaries in control of the Seika decided that after all they feared the danger of Kornanov less than the danger of Lenin. They revised the plan of representation in the Democratic Conference, see Appendix 2, Section 2, admitting more delegates from the cooperative societies and other conservative bodies. Even this packed assembly at first voted for a coalition government without the cadets. Only Kerensky, open threat of resignation, 
and the alarming cries of the moderate socialists that the republic is in danger persuaded the conference by a small majority to declare in favor of the principle of coalition with the bourgeoisie and to sanction the establishment of a sort of consultative parliament without any legislative power called the provisional council of the russian republic in the new ministry the propertied classes practically controlled and in the council of the russian republic they occupied a disproportionate number of seats the fact is that the Seika no longer represented the rank and file of the Soviets and had illegally refused to call another all-Russian Congress of Soviets due in September. It had no intention of calling this Congress or of allowing it to be called. Its official organization, Izvestia News, began to hint that the function of the Soviets was nearly at end. See Appendix 2, Section 3 and that they might soon be dissolved. At this time, too, the new government announced as part of its policy the liquidation of irresponsible organizations, i.e. the Soviets. The Bolsheviki responded by summoning the all-Russian Soviets to meet at Petrograd on November 2 and take over the government of Russia. At the same time, they withdrew from the Council of the Russian Republic, stating that they would not participate in a government of treason to the people. See Appendix 2, Section 4. The withdrawal of the Bolsheviki, however, did not bring tranquility to the ill-fated Council. The propertied classes, now in a position of power, became arrogant. The cadets declared that the government had no legal right to declare Russia a republic. They demanded stern measures in the army and navy to destroy the soldiers and sailors' committees, and denounced the Soviets. On the other side of the chamber, the Mensheviki internationalists and the left socialist revolutionaries advocated immediate peace, land to the peasants, and workers' control of industry, practically the Bolsheviks' program. I heard Martov's speech in answer to the cadets, stooped over the desk of the tribune, like the mortally sick man he was, and speaking in a voice so hoarse it could hardly be heard. He shook his finger towards the right benches. You call us defeatists, but the real defeatists are those who wait for a more propitious moment to conclude peace. Insist upon postponing peace until later, until nothing is left of the Russian army, until Russia becomes the subject of bargaining between the different imperialist groups. You are trying to impose upon the Russian people a policy dictated by the interests of the bourgeoisie. The question of peace should be raised without delay. You will see then that not in vain has been the work of those whom you call German agents, of those Zimmerwaldists, footnote, members of the revolutionary internationalist wing of the socialists of Europe, so-called because of their participation in the international conference held at Zimmerwald, Switzerland, in 1915. End footnote. Who in all the lands have prepared the awakening of the conscience of the democratic masses? Between these two groups, the Mensheviki and the socialist revolutionaries, wavered, irresistibly forced to the left by the pressure of the rising dissatisfaction of the masses, Deep hostility divided the chamber into irreconcilable groups. 
This was the situation when the long-awaited announcement of the Allied Conference in Paris brought up the burning question of foreign policy. Theoretically, all socialist parties in Russia were in favor of the earliest possible peace on democratic terms. As long ago as May 1917, the Petrograd Soviet, then under control of the Mensheviki and the socialist revolutionaries, had proclaimed the famous Russian peace conditions. They had demanded that the Allies hold a conference to discuss war aims. This conference had been promised for August, then postponed until September, then until October, and now it was fixed for November 10th. The provisional government suggested two representatives, General Alexeyev, reactionary military man, and Tereschenko, Minister of Foreign Affairs. The Soviets chose Skobeliev to speak for them and drew up a manifesto, the famous Nakes, see Appendix 2, Section 5, Instructions. The provisional government objected to Skobeliev and his Nakaz. The Allied ambassadors protested and finally Bonar Law in the British House of Commons. In answer to a question, responded coldly, As far as I know, the Paris Conference will not discuss the aims of the war at all, but only the methods of conducting it. At this, the conservative Russian press was jubilant, and the Bolsheviki cried, See where the compromising tactics of the Mensheviki and socialist revolutionaries have led them? Along a thousand miles of front, the millions of men in Russia's army stirred like the sea rising, pouring into the capital their hundreds upon hundreds of delegations, crying, Peace! Peace! I went across the river to the Cirque Moderne, to one of the great popular meetings which occurred all over the city, more numerous night after night. The bare, gloomy amphitheater lit by five tiny lights hanging from a thin wire was packed from the ring up the steep sweep of grimy benches to the very roof. Soldiers, sailors, workmen, women all listened as if their lives depended on it. A soldier was speaking from the 548th Division, wherever and whatever that was. Comrades, he cried, and there was real anguish in his drawn face and despairing gestures. The people at the top are always calling upon us to sacrifice more, while those who have everything are left unmolested. We are at war with Germany. Would we invite German generals to serve on our staff? Well, we're at war with the capitalists, too, and yet we invite them into our government. The soldier says, show me what I am fighting for. Is it Constantinople, or is it a free Russia? Is it the democracy, or is it the capitalistic plunderers? If you can prove to me that I am defending the revolution, then I'll go out and fight without capital punishment to force me. When the land belongs to the peasants, and the factories to the workers, and the power to the Soviets, then we'll know we have something to fight for, and we'll fight for it. In the barracks, the factories, on the street corners, and less soldier speakers, all clamoring for an end to the war, declaring that if the government did not make an energetic effort to get peace, the army would leave the trenches and go home. The spokesman for the 8th Army, we are weak. We have only a few men left in each company. They must give us food and boots and reinforcements, or soon there will be left only empty trenches. 
peace or supplies either let the government end the war or support the army for the forty sixth siberian artillery the officers will not work with our committees they betray us to the enemy they apply the death penalty to our agitators and the counter-revolutionary government supports them we thought that the revolution would bring peace but now the government forbids us even to talk of such things and at the same time doesn't give us enough food to live on or enough ammunition to fight with from europe came rumors of peace at the expense of russia see appendix two section six news of the treatment of russian troops in france added to the discontent the first brigade had tried to replace its officers with soldiers committees like their comrades at home and had refused an order to go to Salonika, demanding to be sent to russia they had been surrounded and starved and then fired on by artillery and many killed see appendix two section seven on october twenty ninth i went to the white marble and crimson hall of the maninsky palace where the council of the republic sat to hear tereschenko's declaration of government's foreign policies awaited with such terrible anxiety by all the peace-thirsty and exhausted land a tall impeccably dressed young man with a smooth face and high cheekbones suavely reading his careful non-committal speech see appendix two section eight nothing only the same platitudes about crushing german militarism with the help of the allies about the state interest of russia about the embarrassment caused by skobeliev's neckheads he ended with the keynote russia is a great power russia will remain a great power whatever happens we must all defend her we must show that we are defenders of a great ideal and children of a great power nobody was satisfied the reactionaries wanted a strong imperialist policy the democratic parties wanted an insurance that the government press for peace i reproduced an editorial in robote i soledad worker and soldier organ of the bolshevik petrograd soviet the government's answer to the trenches the most taciturn of our ministers mr tereschenko had actually told the trenches the following one we are closely united with our allies not with the peoples but with the governments two there is no use for the democracy to discuss the possibility or impossibility of a winter campaign that will be decided by the governments of our allies three the first of july offensive was beneficial and a very happy affair he did not mention the consequences four it is not true that our allies do not care about us the minister has in his possession very important declarations declarations what about deeds what about the behavior of the british fleet see appendix two section nine the parleying of the british king with excelled counter-revolutionary general gurko the minister did not mention all this five the nakaz to skobeliev is bad the allies don't like it and the russian diplomats don't like it in the allied conference we must all speak one language and is that all that is all what is the way out the solution is faith in the allies and at tereschenko when will peace come when the allies permit 
This is how the government replied to the trenches about peace. Now in the background of Russian politics began to form the vague outlines of a sinister power, the Cossacks. Novaya Zizin, New Life, Gorky's papers called attention to their activities. At the beginning of the revolution, the Cossacks refused to shoot down the people. When Kornilov marched on Petrograd, they refused to follow him. From passive loyalty to the revolution, the Cossacks have passed to an act of political offenses against it. From the background of the revolution, they have suddenly advanced to the front of the stage. Kaledin, Ottoman of the Don Cossacks, had been dismissed by the provisional government for his complicity in the Kornilov affair. He flatly refused to resign, and surrounded by three immense Cossack armies, lay at Novochoreskotsk, plotting and menacing. So great was his power that the government was forced to ignore his insubordination. More than that, it was compelled formally to recognize the Council of the Union of Cossack Armies and to declare illegal the newly formed Cossack section of the Soviet. In the first part of October, a Cossack delegation called upon Kerensky, arrogantly insisting that the charges against Kaledin be dropped and reproaching the minister-president for yielding to the Soviets. Kerensky agreed to let Kaledin alone and then is reported to have said, In the eyes of the Soviet leaders, I am a despot and a tyrant. As for the provisional government, not only does it not depend upon the Soviets, but it considers it regrettable that they exist at all. At the same time, another Cossack mission called upon the British ambassador, treating with him boldly as representatives of the free Cossack people. In the dawn, something very like a Cossack Republic had been established. The Kuban declared itself an independent Cossack state. The Soviets of Rostov-on-Don and Yekaterinburg were dispersed by armed Cossacks and the headquarters of the Coal Miners Union at Kharkov raided. In all its manifestations, the Cossack movement was anti-social and militaristic. Its leaders were nobles and great landowners like Kaladin, Kornilov, Generals Dutov, Karolyulov, and Bardesi, and it was backed by the powerful merchants and bankers of Moscow. Old Russia was rapidly breaking up in Ukraine, in Finland, Poland, White Russia. The nationalist movements gathered strength and became bolder. The local governments, controlled by the propertied classes, claimed autonomy, refusing to obey orders from Petrograd. At Helsingfors, the Finnish Senate declined to loan money to the provisional government, declared Finland autonomous, and demanded the withdrawal of Russian troops. The bourgeoisie rada at Kiev extended the boundaries of Ukraine until they included all the richest agricultural lands of South Russia as far east as the Urals, and began the formation of a national party. Premier Vinichenko hinted at a separate peace with Germany, and the provisional government was helpless. Siberia, the Caucasus, demanded separate constituent assemblies. And in all these countries, there was the beginning of a bitter struggle between the authorities and the local Soviet 
of workers and soldiers deputies conditions were daily more chaotic hundreds of thousands of soldiers were deserting the front and beginning to move in vast aimless tides over the face of the land the peasants of tambov and Tavar governors tired of waiting for the land exasperated by the repressive measures of the government were burning manor houses and massacring landowners immense strikes and lockouts convulsed moscow odessa and the coal mines of the don transportation was paralyzed the army was starving and in the big cities there was no bread the government torn between the democratic and reactionary factions could do nothing when forced to act it always supported the interest of the property classes cossacks were sent to restore order among the peasants to break the strikes in tashkent government authorities suppressed the soviet in petrograd the economic council established to rebuild the shattered economic life of the country came to a deadlock between the opposing forces of capital and labor and were dissolved by kerensky the old regime military men backed by cadets demanded that harsh measures be adopted to restore discipline in the army and navy in vain admiral verderesky the venerable minister of marine and general verkovsky minister of war insisted that only a new voluntary democratic discipline based on cooperation with the soldiers and sailors committees could save the army and navy their recommendations were ignored the reactionaries seemed determined to provoke popular anger the trial of komilyov was coming on more and more openly the bourgeoisie press defended him speaking of him as the great russian patriot berdzev's paper obshetsky diello common cause called for a dictatorship of kornilov kaladan and kerensky i had a talk with berdzev one day in the press galley of the council of the republic a small stooped figure with a wrinkled face eyes near-sighted behind thick glasses untidy hair and beard streaked with gray mark my words young man what russia needs is a strong man we should get our minds off the revolution now and concentrate on the germans bunglers bunglers to defeat kornilov and back of the bunglers are the german agents kornilov should have won on the extreme right the organs of the scarcely veiled monarchists puriskevchis norodny tribune people's tribune novaya rus new russia and zavoya slovo living word openly advocated the extermination of the revolutionary democracy on the twenty third of october occurred the naval battle with a german squadron in the gulf of riga on the pretext that petrograd was in danger the provisional government drew up plans for evacuating the capital first the great munitions work were to be distributed widely throughout russia and then the government itself was to move to moscow instantly the bolsheviki began to cry out that the government was abandoning the red capital in order to weaken the revolution riga had been sold to the germans now petrograd was being betrayed the bourgeoisie press was joyful at moscow said the cadet paper riotech speech the government can pursue its work in a tranquil atmosphere without being interfered with by anarchists 
Rodzienko, leader of the right wing of the cadet party, declared in Ultra Rossil, the morning of Russia, that the taking of Petrograd by the Germans would be a blessing because it would destroy the Soviets and get rid of the revolutionary Baltic fleet. Petrograd is in danger, he wrote. I say to myself, let God take care of Petrograd. They fear that if Petrograd is lost, the central revolutionary organizations will be destroyed. To that I answer that I rejoice if all these organizations are destroyed, for they will bring nothing but disaster upon Russia. With the taking of Petrograd, the Baltic fleet will also be destroyed, but there will be nothing to regret. Most of the battleships are completely demoralized. In the face of a storm of popular disapproval, the plan of evacuation was repudiated. Meanwhile, the Congress of Soviets loomed over Russia like a thundercloud, shot through with lightnings. It was opposed not only by the government, but by all the moderate socialists, the Central Army and Fleet Committees, the Central Committees of some of the trade unions, the Peasant Soviets, but most of all the Seika itself spared no pains to prevent the meeting. His vestiaire and Golos, Soldata, voice of the soldier, newspapers founded by the Petrograd Soviet, but now in the hands of the Seika, fiercely assailed, as did the entire artillery of the Socialist Revolutionary Party press. The Elo Naroda, People's Cause, and Volia Naroda, People's Will. Delegates were sent through the country, messages flashed by wire to committees in charge of local Soviets, to army committees instructing them to halt or delay elections to the Congress, solemn public resolutions against the Congress, declarations that the democracy was opposed to the meeting so near the date of the Constituent Assembly, representatives from the front from the Union of Zemstav, the Peasants' Union, of Cossack Army, Union of Officers, Knights of St. George, Death Battalions, protesting. See notes and explanations. The Council of the Russian Republic was one chorus of disapproval. The entire machinery set up by the Russian Revolution of March functioned to block the Congress of Soviets. On the other hand was the shapeless will of the proletariat, the workmen, common soldiers and poor peasants. Many local Soviets were already Bolshevik. Then there were the organizations of the industrial workers, the Fabric Chino, Lavodaiskaya, Komititai, Factory Shop Committees, and the insurgent army and fleet organizations. In some places, the people, prevented from electing their regular Soviet delegates, held rump meetings and chose one of their number to go to Petrograd. In others, they smashed the old obstructionist committees and formed new ones. A groundswell of revolt heaved and cracked the crust which had been slowly hardening on the surface of revolutionary fires dormant all those months. Only an spontaneous mass movement could bring about the all-Russian Congress of Soviets. Day after day, the Bolshevik orators toured the barracks and factories, violently denouncing this government of civil war. One Sunday we went on a top-heavy steam tram that lumbered through the oceans of mud between stark factories and immense churches to Obukovsky, Navad, a government munitions plant out on the Schlesselberg.
prospect the meeting took place between the gaunt brick walls of a used unfinished building ten thousand black clothed men and women packed around a scaffolding draped in red people heaped on piles of lumbers and bricks perched high upon the shadowy girders intent and thunder-voiced through the dull heavy snow now and again burst the sun flooding reddish light through the skeleton windows upon the mass of simple faces upturned to us lunacharsky a slight student-like figure with the sensitive face of an artist was telling why the power must be taken by the soviets nothing else could guarantee the revolution against its enemies who were deliberately ruining the country ruining the army creating opportunities for a new konilov a soldier from the romanian front thin tragical and fierce cried comrades we are starving at the front we are stiff with cold we are dying for no reason i asked the american comrades to carry word to america that the russians will never give up their revolution until they die we will hold the fort with all our strength until the people of the world rise and help us tell the american workers to rise and fight for the social revolution then came petrovsky slight slow-voiced implacable now is the time for deeds not words the economic situation is bad but we must get used to it they are trying to starve us and freeze us they are trying to provoke us but let them know that they can go too far that if they dare to lay their hands upon the organization of the proletariat we will sweep them away like scum from the face of the earth the bolshevik press suddenly expanded besides the two party papers rabochi put and soldat soldier there appeared a new paper for the peasants derivenskaya by idonota village poorest poured out in a daily half-million edition and on october seventeenth rabochi soldat its leading article summed up the bolshevik point of view the fourth year's campaign will mean the annihilation of the army and the country there is danger for the safety of petrograd counter-revolutionists rejoice in the people's misfortune the peasants brought to desperation come out in open rebellion the landlords and government authorities massacre them with punitive expeditions factories and mines are closing down workmen are threatened with starvation the bourgeoisie and its generals want to restore a blind discipline in the army supported by the bourgeoisie the kornislavsky are openly getting ready to break up the meeting of the constituent assembly the kerensky government is against the people he will destroy the country this paper stands for the people and by the people the poor class workers soldiers and peasants the people can only be saved by the completion of the revolution and for this purpose the full power must be in the hands of the soviets this paper advocates the following all power to the soviets both in the capital and in the provinces immediate truce on all fronts an honest peace between peoples landlord estates without compensation to the peasants workers control over industrial production a faithfully and honestly elected constituent assembly it is interesting to reproduce here a passage 
from that same paper the organ of those bolsheviki so well known to the world as german agents the german kaiser covered with the blood of millions of dead soldiers wants to push his army against petrograd let us call to the german workmen soldiers and peasants who want peace not less than we do to stand up against this damned war this can be done only by a revolutionary government which would speak really for the workmen soldiers and peasants of russia and would appeal over the heads of the diplomats directly to the german troops fill the german trenches with proclamations in the german language our airmen would spread these proclamations all over germany in the council of the republic the gulf between the two sides of the chamber deepened day by day the property classes cried carolyn for the left socialist revolutionaries want to exploit the revolutionary machine of the state to bind russia to the war chariot of the allies the revolutionary parties are absolutely against this policy old nicholas tchaikovsky representing the populist socialist spoke against giving the land to the peasants and took the side of the cadets we must have immediate strong discipline in the army since the beginning of the war i have not ceased to insist that it is a crime to undertake social and economic reforms in wartime we are committing that crime and yet i am not the enemy of these reforms because i am a socialist cries from the left we don't believe you mighty applause from the right and this Hamlet, for the cadets declared that there was no necessity to tell the army what it was fighting for since every soldier ought to realize that the first task was to drive the enemy from russian territory kerensky himself came twice to plead passionately for national unity once bursting into tears at the end the assembly heard him coldly interrupting with ironical remarks smolny institute headquarters of the Seika, and of the petrograd soviet lay miles out on the edges of the city beside the wide neva i went there on a streetcar moving snail-like with a groaning noise through the cobbled muddy streets and jammed with people at the end of the line rose the graceful smoke-blue cupolas of smolny convent outlined in dull gold beautiful and beside it the great barracks-like parkade of smolny institute two hundred yards long and three lofty stories high the imperial arms carved hugely in stone and still insolent over the entrance under the old regime a famous convert school for the daughters of the russian nobility patronized by the tsarina herself the institute had been taken over by the revolutionary organizations of workers and soldiers within were more than a hundred huge rooms white and bare on their doors enamel plaques still informing the passer-by that within was ladies classroom number four or teachers bureau but over these hung crudely lettered signs evidence of the vitality of the new order central committee of the petrograd soviet and say Ka and bureau of foreign affairs union of socialist soldiers central committee of the all russian trade unions factory shop committees central army committee and the central offices and caucus rooms of the political parties 
the long vaulted corridors lit by rare electric lights were thronged with hurrying shapes of soldiers and workmen some bent under the weight of huge bundles of newspapers proclamations printed propaganda of all sorts the sound of their heavy boots made a deep and incessant thunder on the wooden floor signs were posted up everywhere comrades for the sake of your health preserve cleanliness long tables stood at the head of the stairs on every floor and on the landings heaped with pamphlets and the literature of the different political parties for sale the spacious low-ceilinged refectory downstairs was still a dining room for two roubles i bought a ticket entitling me to dinner and stood in line with a thousand others waiting to get to the long serving tables where twenty men and women were ladling from immense cauldrons cabbage soup hunks of meat and piles of kasha slabs of black bread five kopecks paid for tea in a tin cup from a basket one grabbed a greasy wooden spoon the benches along the wooden tables were packed with hungry proletarians wolfing their food plotting shouting rough jokes across the room graphic text of placard in russian translation comrades for the sake of your health preserve cleanliness upstairs was another eating place reserved for the sheikha though every one went there here could be had bread thickly buttered and endless glasses of tea in the south wing on the second floor was the great hall of meetings the former ballroom of the institute a lofty white room lighted by glazed white chandeliers holding hundreds of ornate electric bulbs and divided by two rows of massive columns at one end a dais flanked with two tall many branched light standards and a gold frame behind from which the imperial portrait had been cut here on festal occasions had been banked brilliant military and ecclesiastical uniforms a setting for grand duchesses just across the hall outside was the office of the credentials committee for the congress of soviets i stood there watching the new delegates come in burly bearded soldiers workmen in black blouses a few long-haired peasants the girl in charge a member of plekhanov's yedid stavo group smiled contemptuously these are see notes and explanations very different people from the delegates to the first seized congress she remarked see how rough and ignorant they look the dark people it was true the depths of russia had been stirred and it was the bottom which came uppermost now the credentials committee appointed by the old seika was challenging delegate after delegate on the ground that they had been illegally elected karakhan member of the bolshevik central committee simply grinned never mind he said when the time comes we'll see that you get your seats robochi i soldat said the attention of delegates to the new all-russian congress is called to attempts of certain members of the organizing committee to break up the congress by asserting that it will not take place and that delegates had better leave petrograd pay no attention to these lies great days are coming it was evident that a quorum would not come together 
by november two so the opening of the congress was postponed to the seventh but the whole country was now aroused and the mensheviki and socialist revolutionaries realizing that they were defeated suddenly changed their tactics and began to wire frantically to their provincial organizations to elect as many moderate socialist delegates as possible at the same time the executive committee of the peasants soviet issued an emergency call for a peasants congress to meet december thirteenth and offset whatever action the workers and soldiers might take what would the bolsheviki do rumors ran through the city that there would be an armed demonstration advised to penny coming out of the workers and soldiers the bourgeoisie and reactionary press prophesied insurrection and urged the government to arrest the petrograd soviet or at least to prevent the meeting of the congress such sheets as novaya rus advocated a general bolshevik massacre gorky's paper novaya zazin agreed with the bolsheviki that the reactionaries were attempting to destroy the revolution and that if necessary they must be resisted by force of arms but all the parties of the revolutionary democracy must present the united front as long as the democracy has not organized its principal forces so long as the resistance to its influence is still strong there is no advantage in passing to the attack but if the hostile elements appeal to force then the revolutionary democracy should enter the battle to seize the power and it will be sustained by the most profound strata of the people gorky pointed out that both revolutionary and government newspapers were inciting the bolsheviki to violence an insurrection however would prepare the way for a new kamalov he urged the bolsheviki to deny the rumors Protresov in the menshevik dn day published a sensational story accompanied by a map which professed to reveal the secret bolshevik plan of campaign as if by magic the walls were covered with warnings see appendix two section ten proclamations appeals from the central committee of the moderate and conservative factions and the sei denouncing any demonstrations imploring the workers and soldiers not to listen to agitators for instance this from the military section of the socialist revolutionary party again rumors are spreading around the town of an intended vice to pity what is the source of these rumors what organization authorized these agitators who preach insurrection the bolsheviki to a question addressed to them in the sei card denied that they had anything to do with it but these rumors themselves carried with them a great danger it may easily happen that not taking into consideration the state of the mind of the majority of workers soldiers and peasants individual hotheads will call out part of the workers and soldiers on the streets inciting them to an uprising in this fearful time through which revolutionary russia is passing any insurrection can easily turn into civil war and there can result from it the destruction of all organizations of the proletariat 
built up with so much labor. The counter-revolutionary plotters are planning to take advantage of this insurrection to destroy the revolution, open the front to Wilhelm, and wreck the constituent assembly. Stick severally to your post. Do not come out. On October 28th, in the corridors of Smolny, I spoke with Kamenev, a little man with a reddish pointed beard and Gaelic gestures. He was not at all sure that enough delegates would come. If there is a Congress, he said, it will represent the overwhelming sentiment of the people. If the majority is Bolshevik, as I think it will be, we shall demand that the power be given to the Soviets and the provisional government must resign. Volodarsky, a tall, pale youth with glasses and a bad complexion, was more definite. The Liberdans and the other compromises are sabotaging the Congress. If they succeed in preventing its meetings, well then, we are realist enough not to depend on that. Under date of October 29th, I find entered in my notebook the following items culled from the newspapers of the day. Moghilov, General Staff Headquarters, concentration here of loyal guard regiments, the Savage Division, Cossacks and Death Battalions, the Yunkers of the Officer School of Pavlovsk, Tsarskoye, Silo, and Peterhof, ordered by the government to be ready to come to Petrograd when Marienbaum Yunkers arrived in the city. Part of the armored car division of the Petrograd garrison stationed in the winter Paris. Upon order signed by Trotsky, several thousand rifles delivered by the government arms factory at Sestroysek to delegates of the Petrograd workmen. At a meeting of the city militia of the lower Litany quarter, a resolution demanding that all power be given to the Soviets. This is just a sample of the confused events of those feverish days when everybody knew that something was going to happen, but nobody knew just what. At a meeting of the Petrograd Soviet in Smolny, the night of October 30th, Trotsky branded the assertions of the bourgeoisie press that the Soviet contemplated armed insurrection as an attempt of the reactionaries to discredit and wreck the Congress of Soviets. The Petrograd Soviet, he declared, had not ordered any eustupini. If it is necessary, we shall do so, and we will be supported by the Petrograd garrison. They, the government, are preparing a counter-revolution, and we shall answer with an offensive which will be merciless and decisive. It is true that the Petrograd Soviet had not ordered a demonstration, but the Central Committee of the Bolshevik Party was considering the question of insurrection. All night long, the 23rd, they met. There were present all the party intellectuals, the leaders and delegates of the Petrograd workers and garrison. Alone of the intellectuals, Lenin and Trotsky stood for insurrection. Even erection, the military men opposed it. A vote was taken. Insurrection was defeated. Then arose a rough workman 
his face convulsed with rage i speak for the petrograd proletariat he said harshly we are in favor of insurrection have it your own way but i tell you now that if you allow the soviets to be destroyed we're through with you some soldiers joined him and after that they voted again insurrection won however the right wing of the bolsheviki led by ryazanov kamenov and zinoviev continued to campaign against an armed rising on the morning of october thirty first appeared in robochi put the first installment of lenin's letters to the comrades see appendix two section eleven one of the most audacious pieces of political propaganda the world has ever seen in it lenin seriously presented the arguments in favor of insurrection taking as text the objections of kamenev and ryazovnov either we must abandon our slogan all power to the soviets he wrote or else we must make an insurrection there is no middle course the same afternoon paul minukov leader of the cadets made a brilliant bitter speech see appendix two section twelve in the council of the republic branding the believe nakaz as pro-german declaring that the revolutionary democracy was destroying russia sneering at tereschenko and openly declaring that he preferred german diplomacy to russian the left benches were one roaming tumult all through on its part the government could not ignore the significance of the success of the bolshevik propaganda on the twenty ninth joint commission of the government and the council of the republic hastily drew up two laws one for giving the land temporarily to the peasants and the other for pushing an energetic foreign policy of peace the next day kerensky suspended capital punishment in the army that same afternoon was opened with great ceremony the first session of the new commission for strengthening the republican regime and fighting against anarchy and counter-revolution of which history shows not the slightest further trace the following morning, with two other correspondents, I interviewed Kerensky. See Appendix 2, Section 13, the last time he received journalists. The Russian people, he said bitterly, are suffering from economic fatigue and from disillusionment with the Allies. The world thinks that the Russian Revolution is an end. Do not be mistaken. The Russian Revolution is just beginning. Words more prophetic perhaps than he knew stormy was the all-night meeting of the petrograd soviet the thirtieth of october at which i was present the moderate socialist intellectuals officers members of army committees the seika were there in force against them rose up workmen peasants and common soldiers passionate and simple a peasant told of the disorders of tiba which he said were caused by the arrest of the land committee this kerensky is nothing but a shield to the pomidiasteski landowners he cried they know that at constituent assembly we will take the land anyway so they are trying to destroy the constituent assembly a machinist from the putlilov works described how the superintendents were closing down the departments one by one on the pretext 
that there was no fuel or raw materials the factory shop committee he declared had discovered huge hidden supplies it is a provocazia he said they want to starve us or drive us to violence among the soldiers one began comrades i bring you greetings from the place where men are digging their graves and call them trenches then arose a tall gaunt young soldier with flashing eyes met with a roar of welcome it was chudnovsky reportedly killed in the july fighting and now risen from the dead the soldier masses no longer trust their officers even the army committees who refused to call a meeting of our soviet betrayed us the masses of the soldiers want the constituent assembly to be held exactly when it was called for and those who dare to postpone it will be cursed and not only platonic curses either for the army has guns too he told of the electoral campaign for the constituent now raging in the fifth army the officers and especially the mensheviki and the socialist revolutionaries are trying deliberately to cripple the bolsheviki our papers are not allowed to circulate in the trenches our speakers are arrested why don't you speak about the lack of bread shouted another soldier man shall not live by bread alone answered Chernovsky sternly followed him an officer delegate from the vitebsk soviet a menshevik oborontnets it isn't the question of who has the power the trouble is not with the government but with the war and the war must be won before any change at this hoots and ironical cheers these bolshevik agitators are demigods the hall rocked with laughter let us for a moment forget the class struggle but he got no further a voice yelled don't you wish we would petrograd presented a curious spectacle in those days in the factories the committee rooms were filled with stacks of rifles couriers came and went and the red guard drilled in all the see notes and explanation barracks meetings every night and all day long interminable hot arguments on the streets the crowd thickened towards gloomy evening pouring in slow voluminous tides up and down the nevsky fighting for the newspapers hold-ups increased to such an extent that it was dangerous to walk down side streets on the sadovaya one afternoon i saw a crowd of several hundred people beat and trampled to death a soldier caught stealing mysterious individuals circulated around the shivering women who waited in queue long cold hours for bread and milk whispering that the jews had cornered the food supply and that while the people starved the soviet members lived luxuriously at Somoli, there were strict guards at the door and the outer gates demanding everybody's pass the committee room buzzed and hummed all day and all night hundreds of soldiers and workmen slept on the floor wherever they could find room upstairs in the great hall a thousand people crowded to the uproarious sessions of the petrograd soviet gambling gloves functioned hectically from dusk to dawn with champagne flowing and stakes at twenty thousand rubles 
in the centre of the city at night prostitute in jewels and expensive furs walked up and down crowded the cafes monarchist plots german spies smugglers hatching schemes and in the rain the bitter chill the great throbbing city under gray skies rushing faster and faster towards what end of chapter two recording by gary Ullman, west palm beach florida